Welcome back to Owned and Operated, where we dive deep into the businesses we own, the businesses we are acquiring, and we also bring on guests to talk about their operating struggles. If you like what you hear today, follow John and Brandon on Twitter. That's John at Wilson Companies and Brandon at Brandon Niro. Also, check out our weekly newsletter where we teach you how to be an effective operator. You can sign up by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by visiting ownedandoperated.com. That's ownedandoperated.com. Check it out. Today, we will have a very exciting podcast as Kylon Ginger joins us along with his wife, Tay. This is the first time we'll hear about a married couple's working dynamic and how they've balanced each other out throughout the years. Kylon could be described as a jack of all trades with the many unique SMB companies he's been involved in. He currently is a podcast founder, band member, president of a company accelerating entrepreneur acquisitions, and a home service business portfolio owner. For his many ventures, he's had Tay right by his side as his co-founder and partner throughout the process. Today, you'll get to hear in depth about these many businesses and their shift from starting companies to purchasing them. With three exits under their belt, let's hear more about what their next move will be. Enjoy. It's no secret that Brandon and I have cleaned up a lot of poop in our career. Unfortunately, we don't clean up crappy bookkeeping. That's where today's sponsor comes in. Apple Tree Business Services handles bookkeeping, payroll, and taxes for small businesses. Apple Tree Business Services is the go-to choice for growing service companies so they can manage cash flow, know their numbers, and save on taxes. Their U.S.-based team has taken care of small business bookkeeping and taxes since 2005. Find them online at appletreebusiness.com or email patrick at appletreebusiness.com. Welcome back to Owned and Operated. Today, I have Kylon and Tay Ganger. Welcome, guys, to the show. Thanks Thanks for for having us, us, John. (laughs) As we start off with every episode, normally it's 60 seconds, but I've got a couple on with me tonight. Can you guys give me the two-minute starter for where you guys have been over the past couple of years? Because you've got an interesting backstory. Yeah. Do you want me to start? Go for it. Okay. I will start. I got out of the Navy in 2012, started a painting company with my best friend. Over the next several years, that grew. We were working out of six states. We started a couple of retail businesses. We bought a commercial building, remodeled it, and kind of turned it into a health center. It was a juice bar and a yoga studio. At that point, we got both of our wives involved heavily. And so it was two couples, all best friends, running these sort of three businesses together. We exited all of that between 2015 and 2019. No, we exited in 2019. We started in 2015. Right. And exited all in 2015 and 2019. No, we exited in 2019, started it in 2015. Well, okay. Well, that's what happened. One of those numbers is right. (laughs) (laughs) And after that, I've done a bunch of other stuff, was a salaried youth pastor for a couple of years prior to all that, started a podcast around kind of non-traditional learning paths and people that I'm a college dropout. And it was kind of around that angle, flipped houses, did a bunch of random stuff. And then I ended up being on the founding team of a company called Acquira, which in a nutshell helped people 
find and acquire specifically home services businesses. And that, I guess, is the first time I met John Wilson, although I don't remember that encounter. <laughs> I was talking to a lot of people then. And then last year, we started exiting Acquira and we purchased a plumbing company and then an HVAC company. And that brings us up to current. So that's the high level on my end. You want to add anything? Yeah, I was mainly involved in the studio and the juice bar for four years. I ran that with my best friend, Kennedy. And in addition to that, we started doing yoga teacher trainings. And so I would lead trainings in Washington state and she would lead them in Costa Rica. And so we would go back and forth and train up people between those two areas for three years, I want to say. And then, yeah, we sold the brick and mortars in 2019. I continued with teacher trainings basically until COVID hit. And then unfortunately had to stop doing those due to mandates and whatnot in Washington state. And then got slightly involved in Acquira on like a very small scale after we had our daughter because I missed working with Kylan. And then, yeah, we both exited that last year when we bought these two businesses. That's about it. (laughs) Yeah. Nice ending. That's about it. That's about it. (laughs) Holy God. All right. So we, we've, got a, we've got a couple of things to work through here. I'm like now just checking my notes. I'm like, I think I got everything. You know how they say in your 20s, you should really just experiment and try a bunch of different careers and find that's yeah. basically what we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it looks like it was fun though. It was yeah. A lot of fun. We had a blast. We learned a lot, man. This is yeah. A large variety of experiences. <laughs> I think we're going to dive pretty heavy into like most of these because they all look interesting, which is I'm sure why you did them. But <laughs> I think probably the best thing you guys did was you exited some stuff. Like yeah. my track record looks somewhat like this, but I still own most of it, which makes my life very complicated. <laughs> Where is like just being able to sort of like, hey, this chapter was over. Let's go on to the next one. That's a superpower. That's awesome. Right. Right. And those chapters, I would say it was very clearly a shift from, hey, let's start every business we want to own to, hey, let's just buy it now. That was, I guess, the major shift there in learning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Before we talk about the businesses, which we're going to spend a lot of time on, I would love to understand a little bit more the like married co-working dynamic. So like, I'm sure it's been different at every company, but give me the general vibes. I'm sure it's ebbed and flowed. The general vibes are that I absolutely love it and I cannot imagine it any different. Honest to God, I know people that cannot stand working with their spouses or they just, it's really hard for them to imagine those. Or it like complicates or complicates things. That like year and a half after we had Stevie where I was not involved in what he was doing was so weird. And it was honestly very challenging for me because I just wanted to know what he was doing. I wanted to know like the ins and outs of the business and I couldn't because it wasn't ours. So I couldn't actually like get super involved. And so that was like, honestly, one of my hardest times because I just missed it. I missed being involved. I missed knowing what was going on. Yeah. I'd echo that. I would say working together every time we've worked in a business together side by side, it's only brought us closer together. We have always balanced each other out very well 
in and outside of business. And so inside, you know, in business, it works out really well. You tend to do all the stuff I don't like doing or I'm not good at and vice versa. But also it just, it keeps us equals. You know, I know there's a lot of stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads that becomes their full-time thing. And over the years, you sort of lose your edge in terms of, I guess, a career, right? And maybe even start to feel like you need more purpose beyond just sort of taking care of your kids. Having us both involved, we've both really kept that edge and it's really kept us as equals. So it's really difficult for me now to want to move forward with, say, major decisions unless I consult Tay first and vice versa. And that just sort of comes naturally. I mean, date nights, like first thing in the morning, a lot of what we're talking about is just business because we both really, really enjoy it, kind of geek out on it. And it doesn't really get in the way of our relationship. I think because we both love it so much. And like I was telling you, John, before the podcast even started, even just last night, we were having a conversation of, we just spent last weekend with a bunch of our really good friends that we've grown up with over the years. And not all of them, but several of them, you know, one of their primary drivers is to be a mom or to be a dad, to kind of build a family. And we want that too, to an extent, but we just don't feel like it's to the extent that a lot of our really, really close friends do, because we really love this game of operating businesses. It's just it's so much fun. We're kind of gut checking ourselves. Like, is this okay? Like, should we want to, you know, kids more than we do yeah. now? And, you know, we're not done yet. We'll certainly try for more kids, but um, we really like this whole business thing, you know? <laughs> There's definitely a certain high that comes with it. <laughs> so, so I could definitely get behind that. What are the roles that you guys have typically taken? Can you walk me through? So painting, the retail center, flipped houses, Acquira, now plumbing and HVAC. Like I'm sure the roles shifted. How did it work? Yeah, they did shift a lot. I'd say very broadly speaking, they shifted from back in the early days, we were kind of running our own businesses, like you kind of mentioned earlier. Like when we had the painting company and a juice bar and a yoga studio, she was primarily running the juice bar and the yoga studio. And I was primarily running the painting company. And more on, I guess you could say, if there was a board of directors, you know, the board of directors for those other two businesses. Mm-hmm. And we each had partners too in, right. in those businesses as so well. So that helped share the load a bit. But then after that, we started getting more and more involved in these businesses, both in the business together. And then I would say once that happened, I guess, like with the HVAC company, the plumbing company, I know what role I tend to fall into. It's like almost 100% working on the business strategy, visionary kind of setting culture. What would you? I really like implementing things and managing people. Like she's that is a, one of my strengths. She's a really good manager. I'm a really good, not to boast, but I'm a really good manager. <laughs> no, she is. I, I heard you're a really good manager. <laughs> you can boast. <laughs> So I think that's where we balance each other out is I love doing that stuff. I love giving people tasks to do and holding them accountable to those tasks and then helping them grow their areas. And Kylan is really good at like broad picture. I mean, that even carries over into our, like that carries over into our personal life. If we're talking even just down to our finances, I take care of the day-to-day, the month-to-month stuff. And he's like, I manage he's like got our, a balance our, sheet. Our personal balance sheet. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. No, I guess that's, I guess that's true. Uh, Like more granular example, like I guess the last thing we really worked on integrating into this HVAC company, which we're really only a month and a half into is a whole new payroll system company-wide for, you know, 70 
something employs now. And so it would be my type of decision to be like, okay, out of all the things we can focus on this quarter, what's, you know, it's like EOS rocks, you know, what are these kind of big rocks and stuff and okay. New payroll system. She's the one that rolled it out and implemented it and worked with the team to sort of get it done. And I can do that too. I think our roles can actually be pretty interchangeable, but that's where we tend to fall really. Yeah. So on, on an org chart, to me, that sounds like if we're going off of EOS, then this is a typical visionary integrator system. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're very familiar with that. I don't think we've thought about that a ton or really mentally put ourselves in those roles yet. Because I think like, quite honestly, I'm not sure we'll get into it. We're still learning all the ins and outs of just operations. I mean, it's why I haven't hired an operations manager yet for this large business that we just took over because both of us are very, very interested in just learning how to kill it at operations before we ever step outside of that role and start you know, managing operators, right? But yeah, I think like just at Hurleman, the big business that we're in now, technically like I'm the operations manager on the org chart right now for the whole team. And then you are the office manager at this point, right? And that'll probably change over the next 12 months or so, right? To what? What do you think it'll change to? Well, at this point, we would like to, in in 12 months time, have another operations manager in here. But I've been very clear with the team. I'm willing to stay longer if that's the case. I mean, if I had to sum up what I think this year is going to be all about in one word, it would be stability. Like across the two businesses we own now, we just need stability. And so I feel like I need to be in the driver's seat, kind of both of us in a sense, to ensure that happens before we sort of hire people for our current roles and ascend above further. So, but I would see you, like we've talked about sort of a future role for you in maybe the HR slash marketing sort of director, kind of at the holding company level, maybe something like that. Frankly, we're just not quite there yet. So we haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you ever thought about like Tay becoming the operations manager? Like, what do you think about that? If change implementation is your thing, why not? Yeah. I mean, we've I would thought about it. Yeah. We've thought about it. Like I could do it for a short period of time. I don't know if I'd want to do it long term though. It's a heavy job. It's I a mean. heavy job. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a heavy, job. heavy job. <laughs> so I like, I could do it, but I couldn't do it long term. I really couldn't. I could manage somebody. That would be like here physically. But you're dead on with that because before we hired the operations manager for the plumbing company so we could come over here and work on this one, we were seriously talking about you staying in that yeah. plumbing company's in Missoula and this HVAC company we just bought is in Spokane. And we were seriously talking about her staying there and, and running operations yeah. until we found this guy. And I would 100% consider that. We just don't like to be apart that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should do a live culture index because I actually have Kylan's and I've never gone over it with you. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were supposed to send them along or something. I never got it. Like we could do it on our podcast if you guys want, but it would be really interesting to have Taze. I'm like signing into it now and I'm going to send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, we just recently great. did, what is it? The big five? Personality Personality test. test. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, Jordan Peterson is like big on it. And so he rolled it out and your sister was like, everyone in the family should do it. And yeah, it was good. We learned a lot, actually. It was kind of cool how it broke down and we're really similar in a lot of ways and just how things don't really like ruffle our feathers. We're both, what was the one we were both really high? Conscientiousness. 
So we're both like really high conscientiousness and it was interesting. Assertiveness. Assertiveness. We're both really high in it. So it was kind of fascinating to read that. And we're definitely more similar than not. Yeah. At least more similar than your sister and her husband. Yeah. You should do the culture index thing. He's going to say that'd be interesting. I sent it to you in the chat. Oh, you want me to do it right now? (laughs) Kind of. We should do this live. (laughs) All right. This would be fascinating. Let's do it. Yeah. We'll pause the recording. Like I want to go through this. Okay. Because like Kylon's, he's me. Like it's nearly an identical thing. So him filling out the ops manager position is like wild to me because it's not a fit for his personality. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. But you know what? He's really, he's good at it. That's the challenge that. Yeah. I'm looking at Kylon's right now and it's like, it's identical to mine. Well, and the interesting thing too is he was always put in that position. Probably scale. I think when you're an ops manager, you can take an ops manager slash CEO seat because you're the one in the driver's seat. I have to do all of these? Okay, yeah. super easy. It actually only takes like five minutes, I promise. Okay, please read down the columns and check the word you believe. Describe yourself. So there's two questions. There's literally two questions. The first one is select the ones that you think you are at work. And the second one is to select the ones that you think you need to be at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I just, I mean, to be frank, I don't think I have been in that true CEO position enough to really understand the clear distinctions between a CEO role and like an ops manager role. I'm still starting to like parse that out for myself. Well, you're probably filling both right now. Like, yeah, clearly you are between two businesses, but. When we were a little bit smaller, like way smaller than you guys currently are, because right now we're around the same size, I think. Slightly. Yeah, I think you're slightly bigger. I was filling the ops manager role, but it was still very much like ops manager slash CEO, right? You're working on strategy, you're working on vision, you're working on culture, and you're investing. And those are all CEO activities. And then ops manager is dealing with the day-to-day. So you're both the president and the CEO, like that's what it looks like because the president runs the company, the CEO invests. Yeah. Yeah. Am I supposed to choose like all of the ones I think are me or just yeah. try to keep yep. minimum? It could be like, it could be five. It could be 20. Oh my gosh. I know. I did not pause the recording and I think that this <laughs> is going to do really well. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is great. Oh my god! I see what you mean though, man. Was it your email last week or so when you were just talking about Hey, you're in Florida now and you're just looking back at the last six years and where the teams come from in your new role. I mean, I emailed you, right? That was like not necessarily eye-opening because I kind of I get that been in business enough to understand that progression, but I've never quite I've never been through that whole progression yet. And I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, you're literally like months away, probably. Like you are on the precipice of that transition. It's mostly like what do you do with your day? Like nitpicky. So soon, like right now, my day, I'm trying to think about what my day looks like. Yeah, that would be interesting. All right. So my day, so we have five locations. Yeah. So part of the hard part about transition for like moving into an actual functioning CEO role, there's a couple of really hard parts. One, most of your staff is really far away from you. Like you are so separated and you are in the same way that I am, 
because you've got two locations. And so when you show up and invest time into either one of those locations, like that's a big deal. And people really feel that. So when I show up and start talking to people, it's a big deal. Whether or not you want it to be, whether or not you think your presence is a big deal, it is a big deal because you're the CEO. And so you really have to like be judicious, I guess, with how you invest your time and make sure that you're giving it to the right people. So that one's honestly really challenging. Not just choosing where to invest your time, but also controlling your time and conversation because every conversation matters. And then I spend a lot of time thinking about recruitment and the next big roles that we're filling. So in the next year, we're going to be filling out our C-suite, which is pretty intimidating. So it's a lot of just thinking time. Yeah, And then working through some real estate stuff, we have to buy new properties. I'm trying to think what else I do during the day. That's like most of it. And occasionally talk to the people that run the companies. But like day to day, I almost never even hear about stuff happening in the company's day to day. Yeah. So there's a lot of, right. You just mm-hmm. described a lot of strategy, you know, resource allocation. One of the things right. you'd mentioned was... And culture. Yeah. you'd So you'd mentioned culture and you'd mentioned that was more of a, you know, out of the other two things, that one was tougher for whatever reason. I'm curious to hear you dig more into that. How are you thinking about building? Well, culture is a lot tougher. Yeah. Mainly because of the, yeah, why is culture so tough? Okay. So we have 110 people on the team. So I'm going to give you some perspective over scale. 110 isn't that crazy from like a total team size, but I think it's the distributed locations that make it really hard. Like there are people that we hired last fall that I have not physically met yet. And I think that that's where the culture part gets weird. Like I actually just met one today for the first time that we hired in September and he didn't know who I was, which was like, like like a manager level or field level. No, just a technician. Yeah. Not a big thing. And there's probably five or like, I know their names. I knew who they are. I know where they sit in the org chart and I know what they do. But when you go from this like very controlled, like I'm in this business every single day and I know what these people look like, talk like, act like, I know their spouse's names to I haven't met this person and I pay them 70000 a year and I hired them like six months ago, like culture becomes way harder to control. Yeah. So I'm not a part of any hiring. I'm not a part of any firing. I find out when people are hired, like, hey, we brought on six new heads you know, and they're starting next Monday. If you could pop by, that'd be great. Like that's like the level of an update that I get. (laughs) So managing culture is now just like, okay, I don't know anyone when they're coming in. So how do I instill what matters to me and what matters to like my legacy and my grandfather's legacy into these people that I may only talk to five times total in their like three year stint here. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a lot of my culture investment is going into our managers. So how does our 20 people in leadership think about like our core values, how I make decisions, how I would want decisions to be made so that that way that energy can pour down. And then how do I communicate to 110 people regularly enough that they understand what I think is important? So that's been the hard part and trying to like work around that. So we're starting to do more regularly scheduled like monthly newsletters, basically writing a lot. We're starting to do like a fireside chat every week with the whole team via just podcast. 
Yeah. And it's basically core value shout outs because I found that I always thought core values were sort of like bullshit, <laughs> but like this scenario that I described where you don't see your staff for six months and you're not partaking in the hiring, like how do they really know the job activities every single day that I care about as the owner and CEO? Like, how do they know? So we started going through these core value shout outs where once a week we're like, Hey, Eric did something amazing today. Here's the very specific story that he did and the job behavior that lived out our core value. And this is why it was awesome. We're investing a ton of energy into really getting like traction and stories behind those core values. Cause it started to matter way more now that the culture is like, I can't hold the culture in my hand anymore. Yeah. It's its own animal and I just have to guide it. So long story, but yeah. <laughs> oh, like that's great. I think you hit it on the head. My initial thought was just like spreading culture stories through media is what it comes down to. Now, when you created, when you say you have these core values, are they at the individual company level or kind of overarching, you know, holding company level down to these portfolio companies? So we do it at the holding company level down. So like, hey, our holding company probably looks a little weird. But it's more like, it looks like one big company. Operationally, they're their own pillars. But through our shared services company, we support them and conversate with them every single day. So we act like one giant company. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And to come up with those core values, did you just sort of come up with them yourself all out of your brain? Or was there some consulting? We did it as an exercise like four years ago. And then we're just now getting to the point where we're like driving it in. Because again, I didn't really understand the point of it. I thought, (laughs) and I think it's like a light switch or maybe being pregnant. Like you either get your core values being important or you don't. Like you're either pregnant or you're not. Yeah. And (laughs) yeah, I think it was a light switch that hit me like four months ago that I was like, oh my God, those are actually important. <laughs> and yeah, you can't go back. Okay. I have both of your culture indexes here. Did it go to you? Oh yeah. Are you guys ready for this? No. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay. This will be fun. So the easy part is you guys are the opposites, which is probably good. Who wants to go first? Sure. Oh, okay. All right. Tay's up first. Okay. I'm going to screen share this actually. We're the opposite. You can see it already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have it up. It was up to me like immediately, basically. I've never done a live culture index, so this will be fun. I'm very excited. Okay. Okay. So this is you. Ignore the title. All the titles are horrible. Like this is not befitting of anything. Okay. So the way you read this is A is typically assertiveness, dominance, or vision. And like where you fall on it is basically like how far seeing are you? And are you willing to make a pile of decisions with no information? There's not a right or wrong here, but this is basically like a lower A is you're probably in the right seat with integration because it's mainly like, I know what needs to be done. I have the 10 things that need to be done. And here they go. B is introvert versus extrovert. So you lean towards the extroverted side slightly. It doesn't really matter where the number falls. It's about how far it is from the red line. Oh, okay. Yep. Why is there four? You know, they really don't explain it. 
like it's all over the map. There's like no rhyme or reason. I think mine's at like a six and Kylan's is at a two. So yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. All right. And then C is structure. So a low C is like, what is a box? And a high C is like, you're going to do pretty well in a box. So again, that totally aligns with like integration change management. Like we have X set of things that we need to get done. Here we go. We're going to follow the rules. And D is mainly decision-making. So how you fall inside there. So there's a couple other things that matter. So the A to B relationship means you're going to usually talk to people with your A to B relationship. So when you have something that you need some direction on, you're going to go out and sort of talk to a pile of people and see if you can get some direction on that before you make a decision. So you can contrast that with Kylon's, which is the opposite, which is he's going to make it and then find out what happens. (laughs) Yeah. And then your A to D is, are you willing to make high risk decisions? So this being equal means like you could go either way. You might go flip a house on your own or you might not. So some people are like totally opposite. Kylon's is all gas, no brakes. So he's very happy to make a high risk decision so we can, we can do his next. All right, so this is Kylan's. Kylan's yours actually matches mine almost identically, which is funny. And you also think that the job behaviors is like what you think your job requires of you. All right, so high A is basically you're autonomous as hell and you're just going to sort of do your own thing. B is you're an introvert. Yeah. yeah. Which that makes sense. And I think people really get confused with introvert. So it's I'm just going to clarify for the listener. (laughs) Introversion is just how you gain your energy. Like, again, this is my identical. I gain my energy by chilling alone, but like I talk to hundreds of people every single day and I'm able to survive. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. 100%. Yep. See, you need a little bit of structure, but you're close enough to the red line that it doesn't matter. And D, you're able to be creative. So the A to B is the opposite of Tay's. So you're able to make decisions without really talking to anybody and it doesn't matter that much. You're just going to go do your thing, obviously, except for your spouse. And your A to D means that you basically are all gas, no brakes. So... <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. It's great. So, so, so that's how culture index works. <laughs> that's incredible. Oh, the philosopher. The nice philosopher. And the yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, there's like a Lego sculptor. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I love Lego. I'll send them over to you, and I'll send you like the sort of written things out. But that's why you can't just send the reports out because like it doesn't mean anything to anybody when they see it. It's just like a yeah. random chart. That's Understood. fascinating. That's Thanks. great, man. I appreciate you sharing that because I would love to get something like this in place for both businesses right now. I think it would help because uh, currently probably. 30 to 40% of my time is just spent dealing with these interpersonal kind of people mm-hmm. issues and, and stuff. And, and basically two people not understanding each other, but me understanding both of them really well and trying to talk them through how to navigate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love it. Yeah. I think when it's fully implemented, what I see companies do is like put it on their doors. So when you walk in, you're like, okay, this is how to talk to this person. Like, this is how I'm supposed to handle this conversation. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's I interesting. Love that. Yeah. We found it really gets interesting when you get into like the tech side because about 40% of our field team is the same exact archetype, which is called a craftsman. 
And they're just like very focused on what they know and doing a great job, which is probably a good one. Yeah. Sounds like they're in the right role. All right. We're going to jump back from Culture Index, but I really appreciate you guys entertaining me on that. That was interesting. Okay. I want to talk about the painting company. Jeez. Oh, okay. You guys worked in six states. Mm-hmm. That just sounds like a big painting company. It was more, we started specializing in like large apartment complexes and we kind of had an in because both of our dads were in mm. multifamily development. So, I mean, you know, we had to kind of cut our teeth to get in there and figure it out and win bids and everything, but we had a door that we could put our foot in there. And so that was basically just, it was hiring a bunch of subs, a bunch of temporary workers. I think, you know, at our peak, we'd probably have somewhere around like 30 to 40 folks. And then, yeah, we were doing projects, you know, for three months here and there, maybe one month project here in like Texas, Iowa, Indiana, Georgia, Georgia. We've got fun stories from that one. I don't know if I'd recommend anybody start a painting company to be quite honest with you. <laughs> it's not the worst thing in the world, but like if you're really interested in the trades, I don't think I'd go for that one. Just, you know, not much of a moat, really low margins and all that stuff. But it was a great first business to cut my teeth in and just understand like how to hire and fire and manage and, you know, build systems. And I, looking back, like we could have done so much more, but also we made some pretty significant mistakes that almost bankrupt us and tanked the company in like year two. Like what? Like really just naive, stupid mistakes that are embarrassing to talk about, but I'll say it anyways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My best friend and I were the ones running this company and we looped his brother in. And so it was kind of the three of us and we were hiring different people and doing all these projects. All three of us were also in a band. And I was in a band for years with these guys and we toured to several states and recorded a few albums and just you know tried to make that thing happen. I love everything about where this is going. <laughs> so this, we is were, this is great. We were, you know, common, have your whites on and you go paint a house to make money. And then we'd have, be playing like a dive bar that evening. So, you know, everything would be, we'd have painting gear and band gear in like a van, a painting van. And we, we'd shed our whites and don our band gear and go play like a dive bar that night or something like that. And we started doing a little bit of touring and then we simultaneously, we landed this large job painting. I think it was three different apartment complexes in Atlanta, Georgia. And then at the same time, we were recording an album in LA and we hired a subcontract that we work with on other jobs to manage this entire project in Georgia. And the long story short is we basically kind of took our hands off the steering wheel, got super naive and just put all of our focus and attention to recording this album, thinking that this guy who'd done some jobs for us, like we thought, hey, we could trust him and he'll just take care of it. And we'll take some you know, off the top and you know, Bob's your uncle. That wasn't the case. And he ended up basically screwing us, stealing a bunch of like 20,000 plus worth of materials. He hired a bunch of people, had them work for a month and then didn't pay them and then just disappeared. And the long story short, again, is we ended up with probably 75% of the project to do and only 25% of the budget left to do it in. And so that all culminated into a midnight plane ticket I had to buy out of Seattle to go to Georgia right near the holidays in 2000 and doesn't matter. It was miserable. I had to go there and kind of fix the whole mess. I was, you know, had these really rough and tough guys that this guy had hired 
searching for the owner of the company because they hadn't been paid. And I was like hiding in an apartment at this complex until I could like figure stuff out enough to understand what was going on and fix things. And it was pretty bad. And then we ended up all of that debt, debt ended up landing on our materials and paint supplier. Basically, they got the brunt of that. We just barely squeaked by. We did get the job done, but then we had a lot of debt with our supplier and no way to pay them. So that was a good lesson in humility. They could have gone after our bond or or something like that, but we basically came, you know, and <laughs> we very proactively went to their headquarters and essentially just begged, hey, like give us a chance here. We like opened our books. We were super transparent about here's all our jobs lined up for this next year. Here's like what we're paying ourselves. Here's what we can afford to pay you every single month to start paying this back. And they were willing to work with us. And then I remember twice a month, I'd call them and be like, here, here's what we can do towards the account this month. And we ended up landing a large job down in Texas, actually right next to Stephen Ullman that you had on. And we hung out with him a bunch down there and ended up paying it all back. But it was a major lesson. And well, there's several lessons there. But <laughs> at the end of the day, we were very naive and I would definitely cut my teeth in business and decided to take it a little bit more seriously moving forward. <laughs> How did you guys leave the painting business? Did You sold it off? I owned it 50-50 with my partner and I sold the other, my 50% to him. And yeah, after we had paid off all the debt, we, we, yeah. we lived in Texas for three months and we, paid off the debt. And then we yeah, were wanting after. to kind of exit before that was all, but I owned it with him. You know, we were both responsible. So I stuck around until we were basically back in the black. And then I exited. And it's been now like 10 plus years since we started, and it's still going largely on its own. I don't think he does much in the day to day, but he kept it going. So that's neat. That is cool. Yeah. Doing the yeah. same niche, like apartment housing. Yeah, they've expanded it. They do some like industrial stuff now, and they've certainly expanded a bit. But it's neat to see that, and it's largely a testament to him. He's a great entrepreneur and just probably one of the most steady, consistent guys. Like he starts something, it's going to just go forever, right? And it's neat to see that for sure. We're still we were hanging out with this last weekend, still best friends to this day. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't want to say jealous. The grass is always greener, right? I'm always interested because I don't want to say jealous in people that can like create something from scratch because anything that we've created from scratch has never been like it's always weaker than basically what anyone else has created from scratch. And then I go to buy. So you sort of feel like my only value is buying shit that other people make. And like when I make something, it doesn't go that well. I mean, that's amazing that. 10 years later. I guess, man, but look at what all you've been able to do with the stuff you buy. Like that's inspiring yeah. to me and a lot of other people. Yeah. More I'm more not trying better. to discredit it, but right. it's just like you wish you could start something because that sounds cool to like begin at the beginning and like strap it. That's it interesting. Cool. But you come to think like, so we did start, like we started this juice bar and yoga studio and they're profitable businesses, but not cash cows by any yeah. means. Right. There's Feel some- free to dive deep because they're next on my conversation list. Oh, God. But those are still going too. We yeah. exited those in 2019. That is a really cool aspect is seeing something that you have created from scratch and it's still going. And even all through in. COVID, like those are two of the worst businesses you could have during COVID and they still survive, which is really neat to see. Yeah. So that does feel good. I haven't thought about that in a while, but yeah, yeah. that's freaking awesome. <laughs> that's totally awesome. Like it's sort of like intergenerational. 
where like you sell it to your kids or what's another example? Oh, well, like I'm really good friends with someone whose business I bought like two months ago and he listens to the show. So, hey, what's up, Armin? But I think he has a ton of pride and rightfully so in an incredible business that he started 12 years ago that I bought. And that thing is like humming along beautifully 68 days in. And like he should totally be proud of that. Like that's incredible. He sort of works part time in it as an electrician right now. But like, that's awesome. He gets to walk in and be like, hell yeah, like I built this. It's okay that my time in it is done now, but I, like, I, I started it. John right now. John, yeah. the John, Hurleman. John Hurleman. Yeah, shout out to Lance Hogan and John Hurleman. Because I think about that often too, man. Like a mm. big driving factor for me is wanting to carry on the legacy of what I think are two very great, good men. And that's yeah. Lance Hogan who founded the plumbing company that we bought and John Hurleman who founded the HVAC company. Two really good, just really good guys, hard workers. And it's a real honor to carry that on. And I just, I want to make it great for their sakes. I think about that often actually. Yeah. I think that's a good thing to think about. I know being in family business, I know it matters to me. Buying other family businesses, I assume it matters to them too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's got your name on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But other businesses have other people's names on it too. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it all matters. All right. So get me like up to speed a little bit on the health center. (laughs) Like what in the heck was this thing? (laughs) So my friend and I just really loved hot yoga. And at the time there was only one hot yoga studio in town that was available to anyone. And we had been going regularly. And then we brought Kylan and Landon with us to a class. And in true Kylan and Landon form, they weren't actually really enjoying the class. They were just looking around the room thinking, I can do this better. High gross margin. Yeah. <laughs> so Monthly recurring revenue. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking the same thing, man. We have the same culture index. So... We get out of the class and we're like, what did you guys think? And instantly you're just like, we could totally do this better. We should start our own. And we're like, whoa, what? And that was not the purpose of this. Yeah. And then (laughs) I remember just vaguely, I remember this Starbucks meeting we had with them. And it was basically Kylan and Landon pitching this idea to us. Like, we're going to run the studio and then we can do a juice bar too. We are going to run it. But mainly that meant you girls are going to run it and we're just going to do it for you and we'll get it started and then you can take it over. And at the time I was planning on going to nursing school. I was like full on in college at the time. And so I eventually decided not going to do that. And I'm going to instead open up a yoga studio and a juice bar and be a business owner. And it worked out really well. It was fun. It was different. It was unlike anything that we had ever experienced on our grand opening day. The main water line burst underneath our parking lot. So that was <laughs> a great start to called, called a plumbing company, <laughs> called a plumbing <laughs> paid company. them a lot of money. They came yeah. out that <laughs> and it was in that moment you fell in love with the plumbing industry, right? <laughs> Just cue narration. <laughs> and then Yeah, we had it for four years. We started it in 2015 and started with just the studio. The juice bar came like six months later and I wasn't technically involved in that at the start. We roped my sister into that. So it was also a way to 
like my whole family specifically, they're all very entrepreneurial. And it was a way for me to rope some of my siblings into it as well. And Landon, my partner, you roped his little brother. And so basically I got my little sister and we got his little brother (laughs) to run the juice bar. And then we got both our wives to run the yoga studio. So we just thought we were a genius, you know, (laughs) I mean, so far this sounds pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah, but then they get it started and then they would just like bounce. They'd be like, okay, so you got this, right? And we're like, yeah. yeah, sure. But we did. We actually had it and we did a really good job. And at the height, I think we had about 25 employees between the two of them. And that's uh, great. Yeah, it was a really good experience. I really great. enjoyed working with my best friend and my sister in law. We learned a lot about each other, we learned a lot about communication and and we, we were all 20, like 22, Four? 22 to 24 years old. Yeah. Right. So super, super young kids. One of the best things that honestly came out of it, man, was, and I try to talk to this to people who, one of our friends the other day, she was just sort of talking about like, Hey, here's all these sort of successful people I know. And really to make all the money they have, they had to sort of start with a lot of money at some point. They had like invent some crazy thing or like win the lottery or something. I was trying to explain like, it can start out really small. Like we put, it was something like a hundred grand or something was the gap on what we needed to put into these businesses to, you know, put tile down and like furnish, make, it, furnish and, it and stuff. Yeah. And so we went out and we basically just, we raised that money you know, a bunch of 20 mid twenties folks from private, not, not even any, well, there was one family member, but it was peer, not even peers. Just like they weren't even friends. They, they were like know. friends of friends and, you know, people we didn't know, but we'd take them to lunch and like, they believed in us. And so we got people to write $5,000 checks, 10,000, $25,000 checks to us on 12% interest a year on a five-year note with a balloon payment at the end of five years for this money. And these folks trusted us. And we took that very, very seriously. We ended up paying them all their money. We sold and paid them all their money back. And some of those same investors are the ones that helped us with the equity to buy a $6 million business just recently. right? So that stuff, it just it compounds. right? It starts young and it starts with a few thousand dollars that people entrust you with. But if you do right by them and you're motivated, it's just it's pretty amazing how that compounds on itself and your reputation just grows. So that was a big benefit. That it's kind of crazy out, to think about looking back now. Those. Yeah. From a totally outside perspective, it's crazy to hear about. <laughs> like, this is wild. I love every minute of this. Okay. So like acquire is interesting. I guess before we get into it, you've started and exited three things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are the only guests that have done that on our show. We've had some people that have, okay, Chris Powers, he exited real estate, but real estate's very different than a business that you started. I think other people have maybe just done one business, but like three exits is is really interesting. So like walk me through, like how do you choose the right time? Because it feels like you obviously know the right time. You've done it three times now. So clearly there's like the wind changed or something like that. Yeah, truthfully, I don't feel like there was as much sort of cold analysis on it as it was just a, gut feeling. I think we knew by the time it was time to exit all of those things, we knew, hey, we've started these three things from scratch. It's been a great ride. I feel like I've cut my teeth in business. Those businesses, we talked about scaling, for instance, the juice bar. It was a neat juice bar. It was a neat brand. People loved it. 
we thought about like doing a franchise idea. And as we just looked into that model a bit more, I don't think it really got any of us going Mm -hmm. as much. And so I think we realized these businesses are great and we feel like we've cut our teeth, but we're not going to scale them anymore. Like we're just done. I've learned, I've sucked up all the knowledge I can from this. I think all four of us felt that way. And now it's, now it's time to move on. And there's just a very clear seasonal change in our lives. But we had looked at the numbers, especially with the studio and the juice bar, because there were three owners, right? And we just, we looked at the numbers, we looked at the margins and we we're like, really, this isn't a business that's going to support three owners. It could support and, unless one. Unless we seriously try to scale seriously it scaled and it. nobody felt the desire to do that. Right. Like whenever it came down to it, none of us just really wanted to pull that trigger. And so we realized, okay, well, this could support a single owner and they would be fine and they would have, you know, a decent salary each month. And like, that would be okay. But for three long-term, it just didn't make sense. And so we had looked at the numbers and we had actually worked with a coach for those two businesses. And he helped us like with our margins and stuff. He'd been in the restaurant business for a while. Yeah, that was key. And I think that really helped us. Like he worked with us for so long to get our margins. And we were like, oh man, this is so great. And then we like got done with the end of our coaching and we were like, hmm, maybe we should this get rid of gonna make us a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> like, so and much- we're leaving. <laughs> but I think it's but, probably time to get rid of these. But, but it's a great starter business for somebody. And that's who we found. We found a gal named Carissa who was also in her twenties. Mm-hmm. And she's been single gal, it. super motivated. And she wanted to buy both businesses and she did so with an SBA loan. So we've been on the other side of the whole SBA thing yep. as a seller. And she saw that those businesses through COVID and everything, and she's just been great. And I think she'll probably eventually do something similar. She'll probably yeah. move on to, because she's the type of person that can do bigger, better things and hopefully leave that legacy to somebody else. And then, you know, having my sister and my partner's little brother involved, they went on to like bigger and better things. You know, she's got an advertising agency now and he's like a real estate millionaire or something crazy like that. So it's just, it's been like these businesses we built and they've just been this training ground for all these young entrepreneurs. And it's just, I'm just now sort of realizing that, which is pretty sweet. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I think Sam Leslie's first episode, he talks about that a little bit on a smaller scale, I think. But one of his first businesses was like a pest control business. I don't mm-hmm. remember what state. I want to say South Summer. And it makes like not a lot of money. Basically, it just keeps his dad busy. But it was the same thing. Like he used it as a training ground for himself. And then he gave his dad a job. And his mom ended up getting some money from it to do the bookkeeping. It pays some cell phone bills. And it sort of is this like, there's no purpose in selling it because right now it provides value to the family that's like, more than money. It was just interesting. I think that's cool. It sounds like you guys have a similar story. Yeah. 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 I learned a lot with those businesses. I really did. Yeah. We wouldn't be here without them. <laughs> so you're in plumbing and HVAC now. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for welcoming me eight months ago or something when I really did need it too. <laughs> you're welcome. The water's warm. Come on in. All right. So... The first one was plumbing. The second one was HVAC. Can you walk us through the deals a little bit? It can be as high level or as low level as you want. Yeah, I'll start kind of higher level. And if you feel like you want to pick at anything, we can. So when I was involved in Acquire, we were in the business of coaching and investing in acquisition entrepreneurs that wanted to buy their first business and specifically niche down to home services. 
in order to do that really well, we figured, hey, we should probably buy our own and use them as case studies. So we ended up buying this small plumbing company in Missoula, Montana, putting one of our leadership team members in there as the ops manager. And the long story short was about eight months later, I can't remember how it came about, but we went to visit the business and I came as like a representative, you know, as president at Acquira and just came here as one of our portfolio companies. I'll, I'll go take a visit. Talked with the team. I think that first night we ended up, I befriended a couple of the techs and then we went to the previous owner's house who still retains 20% in that business. And we stayed up till 3am, 4am drinking and just having a blast. And I really got to know these people well and got to know the business well because we already owned it by way of Acquira. And I really fell in love with all those folks and with Missoula and discovered that we really hadn't done right by them in terms of when we bought 80% of that plumbing company, we made a bunch of promises about how we were going to grow it and systematize and get the owner out of the day-to-day and from estimating and invoicing all the stuff he didn't want to do. And we hadn't really done any of that. And it was nobody's particular fault. I think we just had shiny object syndrome and kind of got distracted with bigger and bigger, better deals, frankly. But I went there and I was like, man, we've really not done right by these folks. And it's a really neat little plumbing company. There's a lot of potential here. And I knew at this point, I was becoming more aware of the fact that, hey, I want to buy my own business and kind of start my own portfolio. So I knew it was sort of dead weight for Acquire at that point. We weren't doing right by them. And I also want to start my own business. So I pitched the idea of, hey, why don't I just buy this from Acquira and slowly start exiting from Acquira? And that ended up just being a neat win-win situation between everybody. And so I basically just took over Acquira's ownership position in that company, 80%, and exchange it for cash and stock, basically. And... That was that. That was easy. That's where that happened. So we, not easy. We stepped in and I'm talking like small, like, you know, two technicians and doing like maybe 800K per year. And so between July and September or October 2021, we grew it by 60% or so. And now, like, we should hit 2 million this year with the way things are sitting. Yeah. And that was a really neat introduction, I think, to the trade, specifically the kind of plumbing and HVAC. It was a small company, really, really good people and already pretty highly organized. Although like we did come in and we implemented Service Titan and all that stuff. So there's a big learning curve there, but it was already pretty organized. So it was an easy company, I think, to get started with and like cut my teeth in that industry. But I always knew from basically day one, I knew, hey, in six months, I want to buy another basically. And then it became very clear oh, I don't ever want to buy something that's this small again. Like, this is great. I get this side of the spectrum. Now I just want to go bigger. I didn't think I would go as big as Herleman, but without talking too much about it, ended up just getting in touch with John Herleman and finding about this large company that he wasn't really planning to exit at all anytime soon, but we got an initial conversation in July. So very shortly after I took over the plumbing company, I was already talking to the HVAC company in Spokane and we hit it off. And then over the next six months, just made the transaction happen. And that one was considerably larger. They did 12 million in 2021, 75-ish employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a larger one. And we've now been, we officially took over operations on the 1st of January, 2022. But we actually 
we're able to focus on it and move over here full time right at the end of January. So we're recording this March 8th. I mean, it's really like been just over a month in. Yeah, it's been really just over a month that I feel like we've really been able to sink our teeth into it. So it's all very fresh and we're still figuring it out, but <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> That's the yeah. quick synopsis, I guess. <laughs> so right now you've got two businesses in the portfolio, one plumbing, one HVC. HVC is way bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And two totally different areas, but like how far apart are they? Three hours. Three hours. Yeah. So not crazy, but no. Enough to be inconvenient. Yeah, it's definitely enough to be inconvenient. How often do you visit either one? We are here in Spokane at the HVAC company full time. And at this point, we're in Missoula like once yeah. a month for about four or five days. Yeah. yeah. What do you do during those four or five days? Well, we've only had one of those cycles. And it was actually, it was showing up to present our core values. I'd spent a lot of time with that team trying to draw out, kind of identify their culture and kind of get it into some core values format. And we went back to basically present those and get the team to sort of rally behind them. And also we found out, you know, once we got there to smooth over some issues that were going on between the existing team and then the new operations manager that we hired there. Cause that integration is still very, very fresh. That new yeah. operations manager is, he's also like a month and a half or so into managing that business. So that's all very, very fresh. We're still working through that. So I'd say, and moving forward, that's the majority of what we're probably supporting going, him supporting and, him and yeah. going over to make sure that integration continues to happen and that we're still pursuing some of the original sort of rocks and one-year goals that I outlined at the beginning of the year, right? So for the foreseeable future, you're going to be visiting once a month for four to five days. Yeah. I mean, the thing to understand is we're super adaptable and can reinvent ourselves pretty easily. That part I got. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, are you? (laughs) (laughs) I guess once a month is what's currently that's like in the calendar, but really whatever is needed will will be there. We were literally just talking the other day about oh, I might need to go over there for a week and then swap. Like he goes over there for a week. Yeah. And then, you know, so. We'll do whatever we need to do. And we have a house there in Missoula. Like we we love it in Montana and we love that team. Like I'm dead serious when I say I would trust anybody on that team, all of our technicians to watch my daughter like yeah. unconditionally. They're, they are really, really good people. I love them to death. And so I just, I love to be over there and be involved and it's, I want to make that business great. And I think we can because Missoula is still quite small, but it's growing rapidly and we're growing about at the same pace. And I think we can easily become probably the top plumbing company in the area there over the next five years or so. I honestly believe that. And these guys have built a great foundation for that. So it's like, I genuinely love that business. I want to make it a great case study. And because of that, I'm very intentional. We probably could be growing it a lot faster than we are. But those guys are like, like we have 150 reviews now, all five star. We have one one, one, star. one star review, not even a customer of ours, somebody that it's a long story, but not really justified. <laughs> Every other, you know, all 149 other reviews, they're all five star because it's just such a rock star team. So they value we've, excellence. We've chosen highly. to grow that company slowly and go for more quality over quantity. And you know, I'm okay with that. Where Hurlman is sort of the opposite. They've gone for sort of quantity over quality over the years. And now we're trying to rein in that 
quality a bit more, still grow fast, but it's interesting. Each business is like getting to know a person to me. It's each one has a yeah. very unique personality and all these different dynamics. And I just, I love that process that you can't treat any business the same right across the board. Yeah. So what does this look like next? Frankly, dude, that's why I follow you. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. And nice. I appreciate you being on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're one of the folks that I like to talk to and I need more like you who are you know, one, two, three, you know, max five years ahead of where I want to be. So that sounds like more deals because that's what I do. I yeah, already have yes. my next two deals lined up. Yeah. I say we, my next two deals, but it's well, like, come on, let's go. <laughs> what do we got? No, I'm not kidding. We've been chatting already with a company in Helena, a plumbing company that's like the size is in between. They, well, the they plumbing do and, like 3.5. I think they were like four last four, year. Four billion a year. So a decent size. So they're in Helena. And then I actually just got a lead on an HVAC company in Missoula that I'd like, I'm going to reach out to. And word week. of like, we've done a lot of good in that plumbing company in Missoula. So it's amazing. You get in your foot in the door with one company and the seller leads just sort of come to you. Yeah, right? And other people start talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got so what's next is more deals after we stabilize, of and, course, this year. And I'm extremely, extremely interested <laughs> in the shared services model, which we have done, frankly, zero work on besides a yeah. lot of just- Oh, well, it's hard to do with your current right. structure. Makes more sense after Tay's two deals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Makes a lot more <laughs> well, Looking at, at folks like you, right? Like you and others like you have really inspired us in that. So that's the direction we like to head because yeah. like the, the Griffin Griffith brothers. Yeah, Griffin. I listened to that episode, that yeah. podcast. So you're life life changing episode. It's the best hour that I've ever spent in my life, except for yeah. getting married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's where we're headed, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So more deals. So when do you think the next one happens? We've been planning on. I'd love to get that plumbing company in Helena under LOI before the end of this year. That's what we've said. We still do hold that with an open hand because one of my greatest fears, because I've seen a lot of, I guess. People I admire in business, I've seen their downfall because of this. You know, one of my greatest fears is having shiny object syndrome and just jumping to something else before I can really stabilize the thing I'm on. And right now, the two businesses we have, like we've got really good people, like the management layer, they're really solid, but I feel like they still need us. They still need us to lean into the day to day and help them build the business and build the right kind of structure and sort of bedrock to continue to grow and scale. Yeah. And I'm not willing to go on to the next deal, how much I may want to until I feel really confident that these other two are really solid. Or I just, I don't think I could sleep at night. I wouldn't be keeping my word, frankly, but I'm very motivated to make that, you know, towards the end of this year, we're able to move on to the next, yeah. <laughs> the next deal for sure. <laughs> we're pushing pretty hard so that that can happen. Yeah. Because these other guys in hell, like they're just, again, they're fantastic. We really connect well with a lot of these trades company owners that are ready to retire. They're just, they're such great people, salt of the earth, just humble. And, and these guys have been great. They're like voluntarily sending us their P and L's like every few months to like update us. Like, here's how the company's doing. Here's how things are going. Like I sent them, you know, Merry Christmas. Like we keep in touch and build that relationship and it's going to culminate in a sale at some point. They're like willing to wait, which is cool. Like they've just, we've kind of told them our timeline and they're like, yeah, 
that sounds great. Like we'll just, yeah, they want to wait for us. And I, okay. Have like 100% confidence if they were approached by another buyer, like they, I haven't made them sign anything, but they'd tell us first, we'd have a shot at it. Right. But we've been there, we visited them and met their team and stuff like that. It's uh, how far is Helena from your current stuff? An hour and a half. That's an hour and a half from Missoula or so. How far is it from Spokane? Four Four and and a half half hours. Uh, All right. Hour and a half the, the wrong way. Yeah. But I am so not like, in the middle. No. But like I am in long term us like our hub being more out of Missoula and then kind of being like in that central place and then we can kind of yeah go to whichever direction we need to. We really gravitate towards like Montana. Montana, yeah. Wyoming. We'll have a ranch out there someday. So it'd be neat to in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I got that from Kylan's hair. Like I'm already imagining you just like sort of like on a horse. Oh my God. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like very Fabio. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can totally see it. This is great. This is great. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, yeah. with two companies, like 90 employees, right? No, I think mm. it's a little less. It's it's like maybe 78 total. 78 now. Maybe 90 once we hit the busy season in a couple more months. Yeah, yeah gotcha. probably, probably gotcha, up there. Gotcha. All right. So when does shared serve? I'm really fascinated by people. I just talked to Jake Wakely, his episode, like I brought up his episode like 15 times with people because I think his episode is dope and it's dropping in a couple of weeks. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's like a guy, he bought a moving company in Texas. He's about to buy another moving company and he's also about to buy a property management company. So like he's really quickly going from this small business owner to a holding company owner, like rapidly. And wow. he's like figuring it out, which you guys are in the same boat. Yeah. I just, I just think this whole like birth of a holding company is fascinating. So, like, walk me through how you guys think about that. When the transition will happen, and when you think you'll be launching like a shared services or type of concept. I am still figuring it out. I <laughs> to uh, be what, quite what does Tay think? I mean, Tay's she's got a thinking face. On. Yeah, you do you have? I would more in depth thoughts. I would think. And I don't know, I haven't really given this a ton of thought, but I would think once we have the third company, it would make sense to have at least the structure in place when we onboard the third company for a shared services company. Yeah. Eh? I, no? What I do mean, you think? Maybe. I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> or, this like, is why I'm really interested in, in the conference coming up too, because I'm seriously considering going. We might have You some guys other- should both go. It should be fun. Yeah, I think it'd be a blast, but I just, I want to learn from more people that have done this because there doesn't seem to be one, you know, size fits all type of playbook. It's so... There's a few different models. We take a really involved model. Tim Ludwig did a really, this was like two years ago. I can't believe I still remember this. It's just, it's relevant every day, but it's like the five different types of holding companies. It's bookmarked somewhere. I'll find it. I'll text it to you, but... Great. Yeah. It's like on the very far side is like Warren Buffett who buys a billion dollar company and then like might talk to the guy who runs it like once every two years or something. And right here is basically a roll up. So a lot more similar to what we're doing where like it's very industry focused. Like we have our expertise, we have our niche and we're going to execute on that niche. And then the other three sort of fall somewhere in the middle of there with how decentralized you are and what you... Uh, bring in house or don't bring in house. So yeah, people like pick really interesting models all throughout that where like, even if you're diversified, like, you know, Berkshire style, 
they might still get involved. Who am I talking to that does this? Oh, Daryl Starr, Justin Turner, Sam Rosati, some of these like sort of classic small PE guys. They're buying these companies, and but they still get involved with like financial reporting. They still get involved with some HR, some marketing, which doesn't look very different from what I do in a roll up, which is I thought was totally interesting because I like you're in five different industries, like totally different, like manufacturing, internet marketing, like skydiving, like they have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. So like more to your point about there is no right way. It's just like what fits. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess I'm personally really interested in going more the diversified route. Cause I mean, well, you know, when you look at our history, it's been in a bunch of different industries and, and moving forward, like I just, I love the business of business. And like I said, getting to know a new business is like getting to know a new personality. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I can only learn so much from so many HVAC or plumbing companies. Now I'm really interested. Like I would love to own a pub someday, dude. Like I don't care if it fun. makes money. I want it to break even. That'd be fun. I just want to walk in and know that I own it and like have a beard on the house because, you know, I'm the house, right? Like, (laughs) I want that and I want to find a way to make it work. And it's just, it's the joy and the pain that we've chosen in life, you know? But frankly, I just, I don't know what that looks like. I look at folks like you and, you know, other people I talk to and I learn as much as I can. When we get there, I think I'll know and I'll, I'll just figure it out because we have everything else. Right now, the big focus is we're just, we're so new in this very large business. Like I've never run a, you know, the largest business I ever run was barely over a million, you know, now now, like here's 12 million. We can probably hit 14 million this year. We're probably on track to do that with just the HVAC company. So not even counting the plumbing company and then the others we want to buy. So like, that's all new to me, dude. I don't, I'm learning every day how to operate a company like that. And honestly, I'm leading through, and Jim Collins talks about this in Good to Great, which I'm reading again. I'm really leading through just asking questions. Like 75% of what I do, I go into the office and I just, I'll sit probably half the day with all the different managers in the different departments. And I just, I ask a bunch of questions and I take a bunch of notes and I just sort of BS and talk with them and we figure stuff out. We're trying to understand what's going wrong so we can fix it, what's going right so we can double down on it and what are sort of underperforming parts of the company where we might need to get rid of and sort of reallocate resources. And that's where we need to be and where our focus needs to be. And then, you know, up here in my mind somewhere is this idea like, okay, I'm thinking bigger than this. I'm thinking shared services, holding company. How do we build something to where we can buy you know, three, four, five of these things a year, I feel pretty confident that the answers will come probably over the next year, I think. For sure, the next year, probably within the next six months or yeah. so. We're just not in that headspace yet. I'd love to be on in like a year from now. Like, I think I could provide some more value of that. I'll bring you back on. Yeah, I'll bring you back <laughs> on. You're like right at the size where it starts to matter. I'm starting to realize that. Was it you that I talked to about this or was it somebody else? There was somebody else I was just talking to about this. I don't think it was me. We're in a group text, right? I'm like, you'll do a few paragraphs on, you know, here's like the right ratio from like director <laughs> manager or something like that. I'm like, I'm legit screenshotting that stuff okay, and logging my OneNote with some searchable keywords. Like, Well, I think with the shared services part, like you bring on these key roles at really specific points. So like HR, you bring on a 50 and HR doesn't really look like HR, like how you probably think of HR, like benefit shopping, 
like doing the actual HR work. Although that is important. Like HR at 50 is recruitment, like pure play. Their entire job is bodies in the door. Yeah. Because nothing else matters besides getting to 100, right? So then at 50, it really matters. And then at 80, you have to clean up your finance because your finance becomes a like just total mess and, and complicated because you have two locations across two different states with two different tax rates and 80 employees. And well, dude, not just pay. that, like we're in like residential, commercial, oh, yeah. service. How do you do rolling quarter cash flow forecasts? How do you do budgets? How do you talk to your GMs? How do you know who hit projections? How do you incentivize? Like finance gets so complicated so fast at that 80 basically the moment you had a second location, but also around that 80 point, because you're just dealing with like some freaking money. <laughs> it's, it's like a million dollars a month. <laughs> That's a few bucks. Yeah. But like, you're right at that, like sweet spot of yep. building this thing out. So this is kind of cool. <laughs> That's why literally right before this, I was talking to Tay about the hold co conference coming up. Tay, you guys should totally come. It's going to be great. I know. I was talking to her about though. I was like, I, I don't love conferences, but it's like this one could probably be worth it. I'm, well, it's I'm sure. It's more like an unfriends. Like the main idea. Yeah, yeah. Sold. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's not a conference at all. It's totally an unfriends. But I was talking to her about exactly what you said. It's like, I have this overwhelming sense that the stage we're at, the very worst thing I could do is not have some sort of consistent network. Like yeah. my, my biggest fear is making too many decisions and moves right now without having this council of people that are ahead of where I'm at. Cause that, that, that yeah. scares me to death, man. I remember talking when we first bought like the plumbing company, like I was lucky enough to get in touch with folks like you and like rich. And, you know, I, I remember I had an hour long conversation with rich and it just, it blew my, I took like three pages of notes. He probably doesn't know it, but like I recorded the whole conversation so I could go back and like listen to it. Sorry, Rich. He knows it told now. You. But, <laughs> and I've told him it probably three times. Like, dude, I'm grateful for that. Cause it set the stage for like the next six months in that company. And it helped us grow like by 60% in like three months, like really rapidly. I need that for this next round. I'm, I'm very aware. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, we're all on the same page. We're all looking at what's next. Like, we're in the stage where the decisions that I make today for real estate or executive hires or culture, like, those are the 50 million and 100 million dollar decisions. Like, that's the decision that's in the next three years. Do we hit 50 million or do we not? Because of the stuff that I'm thinking about right now. And just being surrounded by people in the same space or slightly ahead is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Very beneficial. You're the average of the five people you hang around the most. Those are words I've lived by and it seems to work out. <laughs> it seems to work out. Okay. I have kept you guys a few extra minutes, but I've loved every minute of this. This has been awesome. Same. All right. So we end every episode with what's your single biggest challenge right now? So what's your single biggest challenge right now? I know it's cliche for the trades. You can give two answers, by the way. Like, I'd love both your single biggest challenges. Answer. Okay. Well, mm. I'll say labor and you say vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This feels like cheating. <laughs> well, you know my answer. What's yours? <laughs> labor and vehicles. I think our biggest challenge with 
this company in particular, at least that I feel like I see regularly is just how unorganized it is or it was and trying to organize it in the best way possible with all the moving pieces. It is so complex and so dynamic that it's not just like a, okay, we'll do this one thing and it's going to poof automatically everything you have. You're dealing with like change management now across 70 people. Yeah. That's complicated. Like it's literally changing how you sign your signatures on an email is a Like (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) You have like six different managers that every signature is different. Yeah. (laughs) I know we actually just went through this and it was literally a training. That's so funny. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing is just like, it's just this big, big old like moving amoeba of parts and you're just trying to like organize it the best way you can. And I told Kyle on the other day, I was like, sometimes it feels like you're just trying to steer the Titanic away from the iceberg just a little bit and it's slow. (laughs) That's a huge challenge. That's a good one. (laughs) That's a good one. And labor and vehicles. That's a good one too. But it's also like, Bro, that's a bit of a freebie. <laughs> yeah. You got to give a better challenge I'm than that. sorry. I only say that because that's literally all I've worked on all day is just recruiting and looking for more box trucks and vans and like pickups. <laughs> okay, but high level, like what's your biggest challenge? Uh, high level. Honestly, at this point, it, it's dialing in the finance. It's just like you said, like, once you hit around 80 people that, and especially two companies, the financial end of things, it becomes very, very important. Previous owner of this company... Great guy, built a great company, didn't pay a ton of attention to the margins and really building systematic processes around keeping those consistent. And so it's just all over the place. And so basically trying to, we've been raising prices, we've been building in lieu of Service Titan, which we're in the process of implementing in this a company of this size. It's crazy, dude. They're like rolling out the red carpet in a way I've never experienced. Like, you know, integration is four or five months or something crazy. It's going to be crazy. But in lieu of that, right, we're rebuilding spreadsheets for folks and trying to get everybody on the same page as far as what our financial targets are and new pricing and the margins they need to build into their estimating and stuff. That's my biggest challenge right now because in my mind, it's very, very key. This company had a really good 2020. 2021 did not look so great because they didn't focus on that stuff at all. And I will not make the same mistakes in 2022. And if you don't watch those things, and it is very disorganized at this company, if you don't watch those things, it like it's a company killer. And so like I wouldn't consider my strongest, like I'm not super, super strong in finance. I know enough to be dangerous, but it's not like my area of expertise. And we don't have like a solid financial controller or anything like that yet. So that's my biggest challenge right now for the next month or two. These are two big challenges. I'm sure you guys will solve them both, but those are good. Those are like, totally. Those are good challenges. Yeah. Like labor and vehicles, man. Really? (laughs) That's what you brought to the table. (laughs) I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. This was totally awesome. I enjoyed this a lot. I appreciate you guys hanging on for a few extra minutes. By a few, I mean like 40 more minutes. If people want to catch up with you, where can they find you? I would reach out to probably my email. Mm-hmm. So it's kylanginger at gmail.com. K Y L O N G I E N G E R. At Acquire, we, we 
coach acquisition entrepreneurs. And I still have a lot of those people reaching out and I'm chatting with them today. They're asking questions. They're doing their first acquisition. I honestly love that stuff. So I want folks, if anybody's listening and you want to just chat about this stuff, I love to geek out about it. And I, I love to take the time to chat with you. So just shoot me an email and we'll set up a time. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on guys. Thank you. Thank you.